Welcome to Energetic Influence, where we discuss energy in all its forms, including spiritual, and its influence on us collectively and as individuals. And now your host of Energetic Influence, David Houston. Thank you for joining me again. This, I believe, is episode 8. I would like to discuss what has been described to mankind as what was brought to Earth. In this episode, I will be reading from the Book of Enoch about the skills or the understandings that were brought to mankind after the entities known as the Watchers came to Earth and mated with women to produce the Nephilim. Now, what's interesting is in various myth, legend, and tales from other parts of the world, we read about the Apkalu. And these are referenced in Sumerian cuneiform, I believe, clay tablets as seven wise sages that brought information to mankind. I believe they came from the ocean or the sea or abyss. I believe they were considered part human, part fish. They endowed mankind with information, knowledge, understanding of various skills. To state that from a literary point of view in that we read that this is what took place or what happened does that imply or does that state that mankind would not have learned this on or in the course of time would we not have come across the information that we read about just by our own skills our own understanding our own putting things together and finding out what works and what doesn't work And I believe one answer to that could be we would have figured things out a little bit slower. We might have understood things uh, in a way that would not have been destructive or leading to wickedness or sin as quickly as it seems that we have been propelled almost into this level and quality of knowledge that we have. And so at this point, I'm going to pick up from verse, or no, chapter six of the first book of Enoch. And I believe it's going to be, I'm going to read verse one of chapter six. Well, I'm just going to skip around, but the point is, and the reason I don't want to not pronounce these names correctly, chapter six, verse one. And it came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. Verse 2. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. It goes on to say that Semiaza or Shimiaza, depending on the translation, was their leader and basically... It was pointed out that if we commit this great sin, I don't want to go down by myself. Let's make a pact. And we all, if, if one of us falls, we all fall. 
So I believe it was 200 of them came down to Mount Hermon, made a pact to perform this wicked deed. And then it goes on to say that they came down, they mated with women. And so we'll pick up in chapter 7, verse 1. And all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one. And they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms, enchantments, the cutting of roots, and made them acquainted with plants. Verse 2. And they became pregnant, and they bare great giants, whose height was three thousand L's, which I'm not sure what that translates to. However, we read that these children, if you want to call it that, call them that, consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain, sustain them, the giants turned against them and started to devour mankind. Then... They began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. And so then we get to chapter 8 and we read that Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made them to know or understand metals and the art of working the metals understand uh, bracelets and ornaments, the use of antimony, how to beautify the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones and coloring tinctures. Then in, let's see, chapter 8, verse 2, And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Shemiazah taught enchantments, enchantments, and root cuttings, Amaros, the resolving of enchantments, Barkeyal, taught astrology, Kokobal, the constellations, Ezekiel, the knowledge of clouds, maybe weather, Arkuyel, the signs of the earth, Shemsayel, the signs of the sun, Sariel, the course of the moon, and then it goes on to say that as this happened, men began to perish and cry out, and their cries went up to heaven. And then we find the angels who had not fallen astray or went astray, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, Gabriel, came to deal with things. And then we read that they are bound in Tartarus chains and gloomy darkness. With all of that being said, one might ask, well, okay, so the book of Enoch is not in the Bible, okay? We do have the issue or the mention of the Nephilim, the giants, the sons of God coming to earth to mate with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. And we ask, well, why is that even there if it's not important, which it is important if it is in the scripture. And so one has to ask, well, what is the importance? Well, in the Sumerian text, there was a notion of superiority. And I'm going to read a quote from Dr. Michael Heiser's book, Reversing Hermon. And it is an ebook, so if I tell you the page number, it's not going to correlate with the page number of the printed version. But anyway, it says, Rather, the reason Genesis 6 verses 1 through 4 is in the Bible 
is because the writer sought to target the deeply held religious beliefs of most Mesopotamia and pointedly the myth of Babylonian superiority. And basically what that's saying is the idea that the pagan beliefs about the sages or the Apkalu bringing knowledge to mankind that related to society, that related to beautification, that related to um, sorcery or the cutting and the using of plants and herbs and roots may have wonderful effects, but I believe what can be ascertained is the negative effects, the detrimental effects, the effects that bring destruction or devastation or wickedness to the earth. To read about that and to gloss over it from a perspective of just say casual reading doesn't take into the account the ramifications of what really happened back then. Take it lightly or to gloss over it is to do a disservice to understanding what is going on, what's happening. And is this to say that everything that is an advance in humankind bad? No, it is just a tool. Just like any tool can be used for good or ill. I can use a shovel to dig a hole and plant a tree. I can also use a, a shovel to dig a hole and hide a dead body. So a tool isn't necessarily good or evil. It's what it is used for that determines whether something is used for a nefarious or godly purpose. And again, if we look at drugs in the world, um, matter of fact, I was listening to a broadcast last night discussing whether the internet is good or bad, and it's neither. It's indifferent. It is what it is. It's a tool. Can it be used for good or bad? Absolutely. Can it be used to sway people negatively or positively? Absolutely. When one realizes that the tool is just that, it's the wielder of the tool that makes something good or bad or useful or a weapon. The notion that we hear a lot with gun control and how bad and terrible they are well, it, you know, I have never seen a gun get up and do anything. Now, in movies and stories, characters and people have been depicted as doing terrible things with guns, knives, swords. I have heard of a gentleman who could probably end someone's life with a spoon. And so, should we ban all spoons? Well, spoons are neither good nor bad. They become one or the other based on whoever's holding the spoon uh, or the knife or the sword or the gun or driving the tank or the submarine or launching the cruise missile or punching someone in the nose too hard where it punctures the brain and kills a person. I mean, it's, it's, it's the person, it's the intent, it's the action, the motivation behind the weapon or the utensil or the device. A dirt clod. I mean, we read in the Old Testament where David kills Goliath with a smooth stone. He had the right momentum and it was the right weight and the weight and the speed and the location that it connected with Goliath knocked him out. David went over and chopped his head off. And so it depends on the person. It depends on 
the motivation behind the person and what their intent is. And I think once we realize that motivation and intent is the main driver of all the tools, really, um, hammers in and of themselves lay in toolboxes or the bed of pickup trucks or on the foundation of a building and they don't do anything until someone comes along and moves them. Do they move them to damage or hurt someone or something or do they move them in a fashion that would be conducive to hammering or nailing the framework of the house or the building together to form something useful? And again, it's the intention and the motivation that needs to be addressed more so than the item itself. And once people realize that, then we can hopefully address the real issue with what's going on in the world, and that's people. It's the mindset of the people. It's the conditioning of the people. And with the power of persuasion, being able to motivate people to do things they may or may not want to do otherwise, I go back to... Uh, there was a time where I was learning hypnosis and how to use your voice and to use speech to cause a person to relax and to be persuaded or suggested to behaving or changing a behavior. The therapist that was working with me illustrated or made the point that stage hypnosis and therapy were drastically different. The case was made that if you could hypnotize a person on stage to cluck like a chicken, you could most likely convince that person to cluck like a chicken at any time. However, if a person was not really ever going to cluck like a chicken, no amount of hypnosis would make that person cluck like a chicken. Now this is strictly words and how words would be phrased and the tonality of the voice used to convey those words, the influences that drugs can bring in. And if you introduce drugs, mostly psycho, uh, psychological or psychotropic drugs, then the hypnotist or the motivator, we'll just call them the motivator, um, job becomes much easier because once you're in a state of susceptibility or suggestibility, the drugs amplify that to the point where you may relax your reluctance to a degree where you would go along with doing something that you might not otherwise want to do. And this has been proven many times. You can look up MKUltra, the whole project, or Monarch, and so many others where clandestine groups used drugs and psychotropic drugs to manipulate people into doing things. Um, the whole Manchurian candidate idea is the elicitation of or the using of drugs along with speech patterns to cause people to perform actions or activities that otherwise they would not. And they have a they have a type of person that they look for that would fit the demographic of that susceptible person. That way they would be able to isolate these people, maybe disappear them, maybe make them, or even encourage them. It could be a simple ad in a newspaper that read one way, and once you got there, you may you may never come back kind of a thing. And you become a pawn in the grander plan of a, 
of a group or organization's desire to control. And really, that's what it goes back to is the desire to control. And unfortunately, the desire to control is great. It is ridiculously powerful. A movie we just recently watched that we had watched a long time ago, this particular person's level of greed. And in the end, when he was caught, he basically said, I'm greedy. I'm ridiculously greedy. And that's why I kept all this information from you. Really want you dead. A co-worker recently shared with me a link to a video of information concerning what's considered the death clause in the music or the recording industry where huge insurance policies are taken out on up-and-coming artists where the corporation or the company invests the upfront capital to propel someone's career into making them tens of millions of dollars or more and to recoup that they take out an insurance policy on this individual usually in the amount of 10 times the projected amount that they planned on making off of this individual. And then you get into the idea or the notion that someone may be worth more to a company dead than alive, especially if they're not producing new content or music or whatever the, whatever the contract might have them contracted for. And so the death clause really begins to point out the level of greed that is prevalent in the world and with the death clause and again no one wants to talk about this and even the speaker in that video pointed out most artists want people to think that they achieved fame and fortune on their very merits of being a great actor or performer or singer whenever the really the reality might be more that their promotion their mixing of music once it was recorded, the addition of sound effects and background vocals and uh, how often the artists got played and so forth all come down to making a person popular more so than their actual ability. Now, that's not always the case, but a lot of times it is. And then you have the one-hit wonders, and it makes you wonder what happened to them. <laughs> now that I know about the death clause, I'm, I'm not reading anything into it, just making a statement. With all of that, we go back to the influence of the fallen realm, the influence of the entities that have been around longer, that have most likely much more knowledge than we do about the world, the universe, how things work. If they are between worlds, meaning between the physical and the spiritual, and can only manifest sometimes, then you have to ask yourself, well, at what time or when do they manifest? Are they still manifesting? Are they manifesting today? Um, because there is a phrase in the Bible that mentions that there were giants on the earth before the flood and afterward. And the and afterward phrase implies that this unholy union of fallen realm and the daughters of men might happen more often than we think. And so we have to look at the question of whether or not it happens currently. 
Is it happening currently? Is this going on today? Is this something that we should be concerned about? Now, there was another author, and I forget who it was. Um, I need to really focus on reading one book at a time and listening or watching one video at a time and making notes instead of my habit of reading and listening and watching whatever I can, whenever I can, and forgetting who said what. Anyway, the point was demon possession was considered more prevalent in the past, especially before psychoanalysis became a thing or a medical industry. And so now a lot of times people are diagnosed with having some sort of mental disorder when they may be possessed. Or it could be the other way around. There could be, you know, a mental disorder for for real. And if improperly diagnosed, they may be, or an exorcist, you know, an exorcist may be sought to deliver them from this unseen power. Uh, again, it it gets subjective. There's, to my knowledge, no hard fast way to prove one way or another. I guess through prayer and discernment, one would be able to decide whether a person was possessed or not. However, the rise of technology, and I, I want to talk more about this in our next episode, but the prevalence of ideas being able to be disseminated quickly, the ability for information to be shared quickly, the information to be shared almost clandestinely as well, offers the ability for people to persuade other people in greater numbers than in the past. When you have corruption, when you have greed, when you have the desire to control, and you lump all those together, the formula usually does not end well for the people on the other end. And it is those levels of corruption, control, greed, that catapult people into positions where they could appear as being beneficial to man. They could appear to be helpful to alleviate suffering around the world. They could be thought of as having savior-like qualities, whereas what really is taking place is the level of control is becoming smaller or the, the level of the group of people controlling the masses become smaller. The framing of the narrative or the conversation is that, well, we must do this in order to save the most people or we must do this. You know, it, it'd be better for one to die and save 10 or 10 to die to save a thousand Whatever the case may be, we have to always look back at who stands to benefit. Is there a dollar sign attached to the outcome? And if we could separate financial interest from people's decisions, especially in politics, I think the world will be a much better place. If you're, if you're financially invested in, say, a pharmaceutical company, that may have questionable business practices and yet laws are passed that allow those practices to go forward, to go unchecked, to go ahead at the expense of people's life and you have a financial gain out of it, well that is a severe conflict of interest and I just think that that is 
that that has zero place in politics. Should a politician not be able to invest? Well, that I think a politician should be able to invest their money. They just should not be able to influence the direction of their investment. I believe it's called insider trading. I think it might have other terms. I'm not a financial investor. I just understand truth. I understand conflicts of interest. And when people benefit at the expense of others, then that usually turns into levels of control and coercion and ultimately tyranny. And so did this information from long ago get passed on to humankind quicker than we would have found out on our own? Most likely. The scriptures are there to guide us and to help us to understand that dabbling in these areas was forbidden and forbidden for a reason. And the simple analogy would be to tell a kid not to touch the hot stove, it could burn them. If they insist and touch the hot stove, their reaction is, oh, I just got burned, I'm never touching that again. And so they learned the hard way. There's a few things that are mentioned in the scriptures as forbidden or we are told not to do them, which is basically the same thing as forbidden. We see the rise of people doing these very things. It could be something simple as uh, drugs to seek a doorway or a gateway to an alternate reality or an alternate understanding of the universe. It could be something simple as marking your body with, say, a tattoo, which is, again, forbidden in the scriptures. When, when you look at certain elements that are mentioned, say, uh, from a dietary standpoint, the items mentioned to not be ingested by humans usually were the bottom feeders in, say, lakes, rivers, and oceans. Could be certain animals that pigs don't have certain glands in their body to get rid of poisons and toxins and thus the the uh, flesh of that animal is high in those concentrations it makes sense to not eat it and then when you couple that with looking at other ancient documents and materials about what animals were raised primarily for sacrificing to these fallen pagan gods and or those same fallen spirits masquerading as dead ancestors, most of the time it was has been pigs. And when you couple that with the many, many legends and sacred rites and tales from around the world, the use of pigs has been just tremendous for that reason today we see a rise and it's not a today thing this has been a long time going thing of what people eat on a daily basis what they desire to consume what they choose to savor in their mouths and it not being uh, holy you know a, a godly thing and so again i don't want to go down the dietary path at the moment that could be another study where i'll do more research on it i just wanted to point out that what was brought to earth we read about in the book of Enoch is an expansion of what we read about in the Genesis chapter 6 version. It also is a it is refuting what is mentioned in the Sumerian tablets of the Apkalu. The expansion of it we may talk about later. I just wanted to get that out there, let people know that may have never heard this before. Find a copy of the book of Enoch, read it. It's 
it's really eye-opening to understand what took place way back then. And I thank you for joining me, and I will talk to you soon. You have a great night.